0: exactly what I've done, but last night my knee started to hurt and started to swell up to the point where I couldn't move it and I was in a lot of pain. So uh, I took a lot of, I took some ibuprofen, um, about 600 milligrams, and my wife put some oils on me. It caused the pain to go down a little bit. Then I woke up in the middle of the night just throbbing. I had to use crutches to get around my house. So uh, to get in my car, just bend my knee is extremely painful. Um, but uh, I, I feel okay right now, so just bear with me if I don't move that much or I sit down. Uh, I might have to be making a, have to go to dryer in a little bit. Uh, but I, I wanted to be here today to share the Word of God with you. Uh, if you noticed, we, we're not starting James yet. We had a slight change in schedule, which has enabled us to have an opportunity to continue with the subject that we talked about last week, and that is the subject of fasting. Now, I know that that is not the uh, most fun topic that people want to hear about. We want to talk about a lot of different things. Fasting is not one of them because it means denial. And people don't like denying themselves. People like to get a lot of things, but we don't like to deny ourselves. But yet it's something that the Scripture does talk about a great deal. And as I was studying for this message and looking over things, I came across, across a quote from Winston Churchill. Now, uh, many know Winston Churchill, the prime minister of Great Britain during World War II, one of the greatest orators of the 20th century. He'd said many amazing things. But one quote that I found yesterday that really kind of hit me, he said, it's no use saying we are doing our best. You've got to succeed in doing what is necessary. Because it's no good saying that we're doing our best in, in our world, but he said we, we have to succeed. really find a success in doing what is necessary. And as I thought about that as a Christian, as I thought about that and how it applies to the spiritual life, I've come to several conclusions. Um, and, and here are some of them. Um, I've, I've had the opportunity to go to one of the best Christian Bible colleges in the entire world. I've got to go to two of the greatest evangelical academic institutions in the United States. I've got to go to small, uh, I've been in churches um, throughout the United States and and being with different pastors and leaders. I've got to travel to very distant lands and I've got to be in churches by massive garbage heaps uh, hewn out of cliffs where people are in rags to small house churches of persecuted believers of three or four. I've been in mammoth auditoriums of six to ten thousand people, and I've I've studied movements of church history. I have studied how the saints of God have gone through time. Uh, I've seen great movements or heard and studied the great movements of God, and I've come to a conclusion that God has not changed. In that. We have a lot of new methods. We have a lot of new things that bring a little bit of shock and awe, and light shows, and all these new things. But the things that change hearts and minds have not changed. No matter how much time has gone on, there are certain things that God has tied Himself to that will not change. Things like prayer, things like fasting, things like reading the Bible, things like being holy. These things will not change. God has tied himself to them. And there has never been one great movement of God that cannot be attributed to certain individuals being on their knees, praying, fasting, and calling on God to send forth his spirit to change the hearts and minds of those around them. I believe that much of the Western church has largely departed from that. I believe that we have become very, very comfortable that we like the shows. We like things that make us feel comfortable. We like to talk about uh, our needs for community and, and so on and so on. And these are needs that we do have. But we have forgotten how to pray. We've forgotten how to fast. In many ways, we've forgotten how to live holy lives. We have filled ourselves up with all kinds of triviality and Banality with our entertainments and websites and phones and all of these different things. And we have, more infor- we have access to more information than historians of old. I've been to the new library at Alexandria, Egypt, which is, uh, try- they're trying to recreate one of these uh, greatest libraries in the history of man. And yet we have access at our fingertips to more information than they ever had. So it's not more information that we need. What we need is transformation. And that does not happen without the Spirit of God coming upon a people. And that does not happen without God's people humbling themselves and seeking His face. We can draw crowds. We can have TV shows. We can have websites. We can do great videos. We can do all of those things. And we can pat ourselves on the back and say that we are expanding God's kingdom. But the reality is Without the Spirit of God working in the hearts and minds of individuals, we have nothing. So we have to go back and revisit these ancient practices, these ancient ways that the saints of God knew far too well. And even the thought of doing such a thing is scary to us in our modern world. Because we know how addicted we are to our creaturely comforts. And yet God is calling us deeper. He's calling us to walk with him. If we truly want to see a movement of God in our midst, and I begin, we're beginning to see one, then it's going to require us to do what is necessary to bring about God's blessing. So we're going to revisit the same passage, actually, that we looked at last week, except we're going to look in a little bit more detail. and We're going to examine fasting once again. And some of you might say, well, what else is there? Well, there's a lot. There's a lot to say about it. These two messages couldn't possibly exhaust such an amazing subject. But today I would like us to revisit that subject. And let's ask God now to send forth his spirit to visit us today as we open the word of God together. Heavenly Father, we are reminded once again that we are nothing apart from you. That you control our very life that you hold us in the palm of your hand, that not only our lives, but Lord, you hold the entire universe. That nothing happens without your allowance. Lord, we are amazed at your sovereignty. We are in awe at your knowledge, at your wisdom. And yet we are humbled and a bit scared to see these tools that you have laid forth within your word fasting and prayer and Bible reading. Lord, there's so many of these disciplines that you have given us to draw us closer unto yourself. So today, as we embark to understand fasting once again, Lord, we pray that we might be open to what it is that you have for us, that we might be able to receive this truth and learn how to wield it and use it appropriately for your glory. And our joy. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So, why are we looking at fasting again? Uh, well, for a few reasons. One, I feel that it's necessary. Uh, one sermon, I don't feel like it's enough. But number two, because with any practice, we can abuse it. And today, I want—I mean, we can do that with anything: reading the Bible, whether it's praying. And I've seen some people say, "Well, we need to pray." I have a pastor friend of mine, and he says he prays all the time. I mean, he is the epitome of of a person in prayer, but he lacks something. He doesn't turn his prayer into action, and he doesn't understand human nature very well. So he thinks the solution to everything is to pray, and his church is dying around him. People love him. They think he's a nice guy, but they don't do any activities. They only come together to pray. Pray, pray, pray. He says, what's what we need to do is pray. But prayer is to lead to action. We have to understand that we, the danger that we have with any spiritual discipline or practice that God gives us is that we can alienate it or isolate that practice from other spiritual practices that God has given, or we can make that practice an end of itself as a means of trying to prove our spirituality. And what it does is it becomes an idol when it's torn away from the intent and purpose for which God has made it. So today, we're going to embark and talk about fasting. Uh, and I'd like to talk about the dangers of fasting. And I'm not talking about the physical dangers. I'm not going to talk about that. There are dangers uh, in fasting. But I'd like us to identify some of the spiritual dangers that come with fasting, which is what Jesus is talking about here in the passage today. And I, I want to focus on, again, let's look at Verse 16. Uh, If you were in Matthew chapter six, verse sixteen, if you're unfamiliar with your Bible, it's in the New Testament, in the latter part of it, Um, not too far in, but it's uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So let's look at verse sixteen together. Jesus says, "And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites." Now, as we saw last week, fasting is not commanded, but it is something that is voluntary. However, it is something that Jesus gave as an expectation for us. In other words, it's a duty. Jesus expected us to fast as New Testament believers. He says, when you fast. But here's where it gets a little bit tricky. Notice the next part of it. He says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. He's, now it's, how can fasting then, be, fasting then be dangerous to us? How can it be hypocritical? Because if we look at it, we see here that it seems like they're not hypocrites. For example... As John Piper says, he says, Here we have religious people. They decide to fast. Seems like a good thing. Instead of concealing that they're fasting, they make it plain that they're fasting. Why is that hypocrisy? It would seem to be the opposite of hypocrisy. Isn't hypocrisy to fast but anoint your hair and wash your face and not let anybody know you're fasting? That, that seems to be actually hypocrisy. Remember hypocrisy is you say one thing and you're actually doing another? It seems like that's what they're doing here. They're being hypocritical. Isn't it the very definition of hypocrisy then, trying to look different on the outside than you want on the inside? So these religious folks are letting, are letting reality show, right? He goes on and says, what are they not, Why are they not the opposite of hypocrites? They fast and they look like they fast. No shame. Be real. If you fast, look like it. But yet Jesus calls them hypocrites. Why? Because the heart that motivates fasting is supposed to be a heart for God. Fasting is, in Jesus' way of seeing things, is a hunger for God where it is worse than nothing. But the heart that motivates their fasting is a hunger for human admiration. So they're being open and transparent about what they're doing, yes? But that very openness is deceptive about what's in their heart. If they wanted to really be open, then they would have to wear a sign about their necks that said, bottom line reward of my fasting is the praise of men. Then they would Not be hypocrites. They would be openly, transparently, unhypocritically vain. But as it is, they hide their vanity and cloak it with fasting. This is their hypocrisy. So these are the two dangers that these fasting folks have fallen into. One is that they're seeking the wrong reward in their fasting, the esteem of other people. They love the praise of men. And the other is that they hide this with a pretense of love for God. Fasting means love for God, hunger for God. So with their actions, they are saying that they have a heart for God, but in the inside, they are desperate to be admired and approved by other people. So there's two, uh, two immediate dangers that Piper brings out. The first is when you, pretend, or you use it to pretend that we are better, we use it to pretend we are better than we really are. We want to try to show off our spirituality. That's the first danger of it when we're trying to show off. We are a show-off people All I have to say is Facebook. We show off our best life on Facebook. We want to show our best picture. That's why you have to take the perfect selfie to get it right, to make everything look good. People don't show the reality of their lives on social media. They show the best of their lives on social media. And that's why people go on there and they're constantly comparing themselves to one another. But this is where you're not supposed to go and talk about it. Uh, Some of you are familiar with the satirical Christian website, the Babylon Bee. I find it a pretty funny website. And it pokes fun at uh, Christians and many things that we do. It's written from a Christian perspective, someone who's definitely a Christian. And one of the things that the Babylon Bee was talking about was making sure you get your end of the earth, reason we should help the poor. And he has one reason so you can brag about it on social media. How true is that? But here he is saying, no, that's not what we're to do. And we we even try to Christianize it and try to show it off as a means of sharing to other people to challenge them to do other stuff. That's garbage. We have to learn how to live our life before an audience of one, not before all of our Facebook friends or our followers, not trying to, to perceive our life better than it is but we're to live our life before an audience of one. So this danger is when we pretend we are better than we really are to do it for the praise of others or when we're doing it to promote ourselves. To promote ourselves, to show how holy we are. That's why we look at verse 16 again. For they disfigured their faces with their fasting, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. We're all about getting our own followers, building up our brand, trying to get people to, to, get, to admire us. I've even seen some Christian leaders do that. They were talking about making uh, statements on issues that have come up in, in the news so they could drive people to their website that's not what it's about. It's not about Christian celebrities. It's not about getting your many followers. It's about going and being before God himself and God alone. And the reason we, many of us do that is because we really don't believe God is the one who sees. Or we don't believe he's going to honor us, so we'd rather have the praise of men rather than the praise of God. And that's a starkening reality that we have to face. We have to look at the person in the mirror and say, what are we doing this for? Really? Do it for God, not for anything else. There's a third danger that's with this, and this one's actually not in our passage, but it's one that I think many of us do believe. That we believe that if we, are, we fast, we believe that we are going to put God in our favor. We're going to use this as a tool of manipulation with God. We do this with anything, not just fasting. Praying, going to church, giving. We think, if I do this, God will do this back to me. Now, there is a reciprocal nature to the Christian life. But you cannot manipulate God. You can't manipulate him. You can't control him. As Lucy in the Chronicles of Narnia mentioned to Mr. Tumnus about the Christ figure Aslan He's not a tame lion. God cannot be manipulated by your spiritual tools. He is not beholden to you. He is not a genie. He is not a divine ATM that you put in obedience and withdraw blessing all the time. That's not what, how, who God is. We can put God in our favor and, again, promote ourselves. And that's why we have to be careful because we can also use it Any of these spiritual practices, and especially fasting, to determine who is spiritual and who is not in the Christian life. This is, again, a voluntary thing. You are okay if you fast. You are okay if you did not fast because your salvation is in no way dependent on this spiritual practice. But it's dependent alone on what Jesus did on the cross for you. That's what it's dependent on. That's why Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 14, verse 2 through 6. He says, One believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Why are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give, gives thanks to God. Now what's he saying there? It's, he's saying that fasting doesn't make us righteous in the sight of God. And not fasting doesn't make us righteous in the sight of God. It's Christ alone by which we have righteousness in the sight of God. And any attempt to earn God's blessing through fasting is clearly in contradiction to the scriptural teaching of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's the ground for every spiritual blessing. Fasting, then, is a humble response that puts us in a place to receive the life and victory Jesus has won for us. Second, one should never view fasting as a substitute for obedience and repentance. See, some people will think if I fast, it's gonna be okay, God, because you're gonna my good deed is gonna outweigh my bad deed. And why I'm being disobedient in this area, I'm gonna sacrifice for myself here sacrifice myself here. What does God say in first Samuel? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. So we have to make sure that fasting, we have to understand that fasting does not commend us to God. Then why do we do it? Why do we do it? I mean, I know many of you are fasting right now. I gave a challenge last week in, our, in, our, uh, in my sermon to uh, challenge many of you to fast. Some of you fasted three days. Some of you fasted ten days. Or you're in the middle of your fast right now. You have three days remaining as we're seeking God's blessing. Now, we understand all blessings come through Christ. But yet, at the same time, Travis, doesn't that seem to be contradictory if you're saying we're doing it to gain God's blessing? That's not the exact reason why we're fasting. John Piper wrote this. He said, One of the great effects of fasting is that it assists what it expresses. I mean that fasting is mainly an expression of the soul's hunger for God. It is not a contrived means to make us love God. We love Him and long for Him. And then fasting rises up as a way of saying earnestly with our whole body that what our hearts feel I hunger for you, O God. And I love this part. Fasting expresses rather than creates hunger for God. Fasting expresses rather than creates hunger for God. It's to be an expression of our soul's hunger for God. Fasting assists our hunger for God. If we are less sensitive to spiritual appetites, it may be that we are in bondage to our physical ones. And fasting is a means of awakening us to the spiritual appetites that have long been dormant. Because of our continual focus on our physical ones. Let's get back to our text for a moment. Jesus gave us this direction. We need to understand his direction. Understand his direction. That's point two in your notes. If it is to ever become a regular part of our spiritual lives, we need to understand what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 6. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. That your fasting may be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. Anoint your head with oil. Wash your face off. In other words, don't look gloomy or discouraged to draw attention to yourself. That's not the point. Instead, you're to fast to your Father who is in secret. The more I read that, the more I amazed I am. Because what it really is doing is showing where your faith really lies. What is your faith in? We have a tendency to put our faith in charismatic preachers or in great programs, but at the end of the day, they're only means, tools that God works through. If you want a person to be truly saved, then they need to have an encounter with the living God. And the only way that they're going to have an encounter with a living God is if the Spirit of God shows up. And that doesn't happen without us calling on God. Prayer, as Tim Teller has said, is rebellion against the world's status quo. It's saying that this world is under a blanket of unbelief, a veil that's sleeping, We're asking God to awaken people to the reality of who He is. And that does not happen apart from His people calling on Him. God wants us to invite Him into our lives, to seek His help. Fasting does have a point. There is a reward in sight. But it is one that must come from God alone. In other words... He is showing us that fasting invites God to help us. That's letter A and number 2. It invites God to help us, to to bring God to bear in a situation, to say to God, I want you so much to transform this life, to show yourself in my family, to show yourself in my life, in all that I have, and all the struggles that I have. Lord, I want you to show yourself in the life of my sister, or my niece, or my nephew, or my son, or my daughter, that they have turned their back on you, that they are hanging by a thread. And I know if they were to die, they would go right into hell. And I'm asking you, God, to transform them, to speak to them. I am begging you. I'm saying to the God, this is much how much I want this. Carl Lundquist was the president of Bethel College and Seminary in Minnesota for almost 30 years. He passed away in 1991. But for the last several years of his life, He devoted himself and a lot of his energy to his walk with God, cultivating his spiritual disciplines and personal devotion. He even established a group called the Evangelical Order of the Burning Heart and sent out a periodic letter of encouragement and inspiration. In September 1989, he wrote uh, one of his letters about how he started taking fasting seriously. He said this, My own serious consideration of fasting as a spiritual discipline began as a result of visiting Dr. Jun Gon Kim in Seoul, Korea. Is it true, I asked him, that you spent 40 days in fasting prior to the evangelism crusade in 1980? Yes, he responded, it's true. Dr. Kim was the chairman of the crusade expected to bring a million people to Yodo Plana, But six months before the meeting, police informed him they were revoking their permission for the crusade. Korea, at that time, was in political turmoil, and Seoul was under martial law. The officers decided they could not take the risk of having so many people together in one place. So Dr. Kim and some associates went to a prayer mountain and spent 40 days before God in prayer and fasting for the crusade. Then they returned and made their way to the police station. Oh, said the officer when he saw Dr. Kim, we have changed our mind and you can have your meeting. As I went back to the hotel, I reflected that I had never fasted like that. Perhaps I have never had a desire for God to work with the same intensity. His body marked, was marked by many 40 day fasts during his long spiritual leadership of God's work in Asia. Also, however, I haven't seen the miracles that Dr. Kim had. God works in proportion. To his people, calling on him. See, there are some things that we cannot do no matter how much we try. We need God to do what only he can do, and only he can change a situation and work it in our favor. Fasting invites God to help, but also is meant to increase our hunger for God. It's meant to increase our hunger for God. See, that's ultimately what fasting is about. Piper again says, The reward we are to seek from the Father in fasting is not first, or mainly the gifts of God, but God himself. Jesus refers to this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 through 15, another passage, well-known passage on fasting. Then the disciples of John, John the Baptist, came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees, these religious teachers, fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And then they will fast. What's his point in this passage? Not just that now is the time of fasting between his two comings, but instead there's something else, something deeper. See, Piper puts it this way, the absence of fasting is the measure of our contentment with the absence of Christ let me read that for you again the absence of fasting is the measure of our contentment with the absence of christ did you get that we fast because we long for him to come we long for the bridegroom to come back so to be with his bride and our fasting reveals our how great our hunger is for him to return that's what our fasting is to be about i mean do you have a hunger for god that intense Could it be that you are too filled with the banality of pop culture and the things of the world that you can't eat at the table of God's delicacies? Let me remind you that this world is passing away. Only the one who does the will of God will be with him forever. Fasting is meant to express our hunger for God, our longing to see his supremacy in all things for the joy of all peoples. Again, as Piper wrote again, he says, It begins with the three main longings that we are to hope for from God. First, that God's name will be hallowed or revered. This is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So we fast because we want God to bear upon a situation. We want him to invade our world. We want his name to be hallowed among our friends and neighbors and classmates and coworkers. Second, that God's kingdom come. I want God's kingdom to come. This kingdom and this world is passing away and it's crumbling. The light of Christ is peeking through through every believer's heart that is living in obedience to him. It's a sure sign that that kingdom is crumbling. But he continues on. And that his will be done on earth the way it's done in heaven. That is the first and primary reward Jesus tells us to seek in our praying and our fasting. We fast out of longing for God's name to be known and cherished and honored. And out of longing for his kingly rule to be extended and then consummated in history, and out of longing for his will to be done everywhere with the same devotion and energy that the indefatigable angels do it sleeplessly in heaven forever and ever. Deep water. For fasting then to be effective, we also have to remember to hold on for his answer. Fasting isn't easy. I mean, we have these dangers that we have before us that we have to navigate. We're constantly having to check our motives and why we're doing it and seeing if we're doing it for the praise of men. And sometimes we have a tendency to lose focus in the middle of our fasting. And that's where I find fasting gets to be very difficult, is keeping our mental perspective straight. Because your mind has a tendency to wonder. Fasting's not easy, but we hold unto him for an- to answer. Jesus had to hang on when he was fasting. See, the devil came to him when he was hungry. It's interesting to me that in Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, which is the chronicle of Jesus' uh, wilderness temptation with the devil, that the devil doesn't come to him until he was hungry. And that's almost after the, that's when the 40 days. It's when he's hungry. It's really at the end. Now, it could have been that he was fasting um, or the devil was tempting him throughout. But I think he came to him when he knew he was most susceptible when he was tired, when he was weak. The devil doesn't come to you usually right after you get done hearing a sermon at church or after you're having a great experience with God. I mean, sometimes it'll, right after the mountaintop, we, he wants to tempt us because we've got our, our guard down. But oftentimes when it's at we're weakest, we don't think that temptation's going to come. That's when it does come. We have to remember that this battle that we have is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of evil in the heavenly places. There is a battle going on that you cannot see, but we need to hold on and not give in or give up. God is going to answer and, the, and bring a breakthrough. But that breakthrough doesn't only really come right when fasting ends. It comes much later. Piper again, he says this, Fasting prepares the way of the Lord and empowers prayer to push back and repel Satan's darkness, to remove Satan's roadblocks, and defeat Satan's attacking forces. Fasting prayer prepares your heart to prevail more powerfully, believe more trustingly, and hold on perseveringly until Christ's will visibly triumphs. Fasting adds tremendously dynamic power and effectiveness into all forms of prevailing prayer. Now, I know many of you have spent the first three days of your fasting, and some of you are coming in near the uh, last three days of your fast, but I don't want this to be a rare thing for Village Bible Church. I don't want this to be a one-time sermon thing. I would like this to become a regular practice in those who attend Village Bible Church's life as you do commune with the Lord. And we have to learn how to effectively practice this discipline. It's a discipline Discipline. It's interesting that the word discipline, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, it says, actually, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I think, but it's discipline yourself for the sake of godliness. Now, that's what the Scripture says. Do you know what the word discipline is in Greek? It's gymnazo. Now, that's where we get our word gymnasium, but we don't need to read our term back into that. They had their own means of working out and exercising in the ancient Greek world. Uh, but they did have an area where they would exercise, like our modern gymnasium. They had that there. And he's saying that you're to exercise yourself in godliness. And Paul says physical exercise has some profit. And it does. It helps us have a, a good heart. It helps us be healthy. It helps us to feel good about ourselves. But it only has minimal benefit. Spiritual, god, or spiritual training, discipline, has greater value than that physical discipline does. And many of us are killing ourselves in our physical discipline and have zero spiritual discipline whatsoever. But it's going to get to the point in time where that that physical discipline can only go so far. How many of you remember Jack LaLanne? Anyone remember Jack LaLanne? Uh, This guy was Mr. Discipline, Mr. Exercise Guy. He was the first guy to actually start working out with weights, and he's the reason we have so many health clubs that we have in the United States today. He was a crazy juicer, fitness fanatic. I mean, even at 80 years old, he's lifting weights and doing all this stuff. And it's like, great, everybody's applauding him. Great, 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 great. And then Alzheimer's strikes, and then he dies. Where's he going to spend eternity? Didn't know who Christ is, but yet he's a great legend when it comes to exercising and working out the wrong focus. I'm not saying exercise is wrong. Exercise is a thing we need to do, but we more need to do the spiritual exercises to discipline ourselves for the sake of godliness, which expresses, it's an expression of our love for God. That's what it does. We learned how to practice this discipline. Now, how do we practice fasting? Well, it takes practice. Simple as that. It takes practice. The first time you try it, you might fail. You might be going along, going, "I'm fasting, fasting, fasting. This is great." Oh, a pizza! I gotta have a slice. And you might have that slice of pizza, and you might feel so guilty about it, and you might fail, and that's okay. That's not a law. But to try it again, to get back up on the horse, you know, it's just like learning how to ride a bike. Did you did you master bike riding the first time you got on a bike? Chances are you crashed. We all crash. We're going to crash with this as well. But we continue to try it. We continue to try it. Matter of fact, most of the church in the ancient world, in early Christianity, would fast every Wednesday and Friday. Through fast days. But it's something in our large world, you I mean, in our modern world, you mention that to Christians, and it's like, if you're not talking to me about marriage and something I can use right away, don't talk to me about it. Well, that tells me a lot more about you tells me that you really don't have a very good understanding of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. It's a discipline. It takes practice. Now, how do we practice it? Well, maybe you might miss one meal. And then you can progress to miss one or two meals in a day, and possibly uh, a whole day's fast, maybe 24 hours. And then next time you try, try it for a three-day period of time. And maybe extend that into a 10-day or a 21-day. My goal is that every year in January, from this time forth, that in January we will take the first 21 days of the year and fast as a congregation in order to make sure that we are expressing our hunger for God and saying to God, this much we want you to work in our church and in our community to expand the kingdom of God, not just here, but in places like Saudi Arabia and Iraq and Iran and Burma and in Congo. In far off lands, in small countries, to have a thirst for God's glory to be made known and his supremacy to be seen in the lives of those who have not yet heard who Jesus is. Fasting takes practice, but it also takes perspective. It takes perspective, it's difficult. As I mentioned before, I find the mental and spiritual parts much harder than I do the physical part. The first few days of a fast physically can be daunting. But I find keeping my mental focus, having really and making it a desire to pray, just because I'm fasting doesn't mean that I'm not that I'm praying, that I'm really seeking God in the middle of it. I might be just happy enough that I'm doing the fast and get all caught up in that, that I'm not seeking God's face in the middle of it. See, again, these are the dangers of fasting. No one's going to master it overnight. We have to keep the right perspective. And you can do it. If you, and I know that there, if I've, when I've gone through an extended fast, an extended period of time, I'm thinking, I don't think about the extended period of time. In the back of my mind, I do. I can't help it. But I don't think I have this many days to go. Because when you do, you become defeated. You go, I just need to get to the end of today. I just need to get through the end of today. If I can get through today, the next day, you get up. I just need to get through the end of today. I just need to get through today. If I can get through today, I'll be good. And then after a while, you'll see that you'll be able to make your way through that. And you can go beyond a three-day fast to a five-day fast or a 10-day fast, and maybe even go to a 21-day or a 40-day fast and see what God does in our midst and through your life through that. Remember, this is not a law. It's a voluntary thing, an expectation, though, that Jesus has. And again, as we mentioned last week, some of you cannot fast uh, fast from food. If you are pregnant, if you have medical issues such as diabetes, uh, or if you have an eating disorder, or, or a kid, I recommend not fasting. Especially ladies, uh, my younger ladies, if you have an eating disorder. Um, I had some friends of mine that fasted, and they used their bulimia and anorexia and they, under the guise of fasting. Be honest about where you're at, okay? Be honest about where you're at. Don't try to fool God and don't try to mask it. Last of all, it takes perseverance. Perseverance. As with any discipline, we have to learn to persevere in it. Fasting is meant to express our hunger for God. It's not going to be easy. We'll be tempted to give in, and if we do, we just try it again. We fall off the horse, we get back on. I mentioned last week that we fast so that God's kingdom will grow in our community. That's still true. See, we want fasting to be the expression of our longing for God to work. Now, what does that look like? I want to conclude with uh, the last quote from Piper. I know I've quoted him a lot today, but his book, Hunger for God, is a pretty amazing book and I would encourage you to read more on. He has quotes of many different saints over the centuries and what they've said about fasting. But this is what he said, and I love this. And so we ask, as we fast and pray, do we want to conquer bad habits and old enslavements, to remove every obstacle to the fullest enjoyment of God so that people might see and give him glory? Do we want our prodigal sons and wayward daughters to come home because this would honor God's name? Do we want our churches to grow because the howling of Christ's name is at stake among unbelievers? Do we want China and North Korea in Saudi Arabia and Iraq and Libya to open their doors to the gospel for the sake of the advancement of the kingship of Jesus? Do we want upright leaders in government because this world is meant to magnify the goodness and justice of God? This is what Jesus is calling, is calling us to, a radically God-oriented living and praying and fasting. So for the sake of your own soul and in response to Jesus, And for the advancement of God's supremacy in all things, for the joy of all peoples, comb your hair and wash your face. And let the Father who sees in secret observe how hungry you are for him with fasting. The Father who sees in secret is brimming with rewards for your joy and for his glory. It's a great quote. He's brimming with joy and rewards for his glory, that he wants to give it to us. So my question for us as we conclude our our time today, and we're finishing early, how much do you desire God? How much do we as a body desire God? How much do we desire those in our community to be saved? There are many different churches in our community, some very wonderful churches, and some not-so-wonderful churches. But even with all the churches, there's still thousands of people around us that have not yet heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Our goal is not to fill seats. That's a great thing. Our goal is to see transformed hearts. Is that your goal? Is that our goal? Fasting helps that. To see that. To purify that. To intensify that. So I'd encourage you. You might say, well, I didn't do the three-day fast. I didn't do the 10-day fast. Well, there's still three days that you can fast right now. We could fast and all end and join in with the people that are fasting the 10 days and end the last three days. But I would encourage you think about it and challenge yourself this year in 2017. Take one day each month or maybe one day each week to fast. Maybe fast from lunch. And don't just use that to play solitaire. Use that time to seek God to pray for those around you, to pray for our community, to pray for our church, that God might continue to bless and shower down his spirit upon us. You know, the scripture, uh, Jesus tells the story about how, uh, he said, if if your son or daughter asks you for a piece of bread, how many of you give him a stone? Or if he asks you for th- this, you'd give him a, s- a stick. And he says, if your are parent, they want to give you good gifts. How much more does your father want to give good gifts to his children who ask? And in in the Luke same uh, parable, he says, how much more does your father want to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, to pour out God's Spirit in our midst? I'm hungry for that. I hope you are too. And fast with me as we continue to call on the name of the Lord, asking him to work in our midst. And in our lives, for His glory and our joy. Let's pray. Supreme God, you are holy, you are powerful, and you are working. You are working in our lives and you're working in our church. And Lord, I pray that you continue to do so. I I pray that you continue to draw people to yourself in our body and through our body, that you might use those that are here, that you might transform them, that you might empower them, that you might give them courage and zeal and wisdom and great faith to go out and share your word with those that they see each and every day. Whether it's a customer at the workplace, whether it's an employer, or a coworker, or a classmate, or a neighbor, Lord, I pray that you use them and you use us all. And I pray, Lord, once again, that our church might be a, might be ground zero for a great work of God in our midst. I pray that you bring those from all different backgrounds all different tribes and tongues, all different economic backgrounds, educational backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, linguistic backgrounds. I pray that you bring all people from all different groups and places and that you transform them and that you bring us together as one body and that the whole, that the watching world might take notice and they might say that this cannot be a movement of man, but it has to be a movement of God. Let it not just be one cultural group. Not a, let it not be one uh, economic group or even geographic group. but Let it be one that is entirely born by the Spirit of God. And Lord, nourish us, grow us, empower us, draw us closer to yourself that we might see Jesus and understand what he has done on our behalf on the cross, knowing that his death enabled us to have atonement. in his resurrection... Enable us to have a new life. But Lord, for those who are lost, that do come into our midst, I pray that they might see the light and life of Christ. That they might see their sin in need of a Savior. That they might encounter you, the living God, the God who loves them more than any earthly person ever could. That they might see the depth of your love poured out on Christ on the cross. And they might see and understand your love in a greater way that it leads them to repentance and a new life in you. And Lord, I pray that you grow us, that you challenge us, that you help us to do the hard things, that you get us out of our seats of cultural convenience and send us out into the highways and byways of life to share the truth of your word and extend extend forth faithfully, fastly, the word of truth. We pray your blessing upon us as we fast, as we give ourselves to you, as we pray, as we read, as we give. We pray that you might use it to further your kingdom. In the name of Jesus the Christ, we pray.